welcome to the Thought Echoes podcast, where we have an opportunity to listen in as people reflect on their relationship with their thoughts and their creative work and how it's changed since their brain injury. My name is Beth Bonnes, host of the Thought Echoes podcast. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed this month's interview. My name is Giles Turnbull. I'm 49 years old. Um, I've been a type 1 diabetic since I was a teenager, 14 years of age, and my brain injury resulted indirectly from a diabetic complication. I had a kidney transplant in 2013, and within a year, because I take immunosuppressant medications for the kidney transplant, an infection was able to cross my blood-brain barrier. I didn't know what was happening. Um, one day, I, I was, one day I'd been sitting at the top of the stairs and my mum had seen me and asked me what I was doing and I didn't know. Um, and the next day, I actually fell down the stairs and that was the last thing I remember for about six or seven months. Um, I was diagnosed initially with a, as having had a stroke, but after two days in the hospital, they transferred me to a larger hospital where I was diagnosed with officially cancer of the central nervous system, but it was a lymphoma, brain lymphoma, so a blood cancer of the brain. So I had chemotherapy and then following that radiotherapy. Can you describe a little bit about the, um, as they were working through the diagnosis, kind of how that affected you? Yeah, well, no, I can't because I have no memory of it whatsoever. Um, you, you hear about people talking about their experiences of um, being diagnosed with cancer. I, I was through all the chemotherapy, was halfway through the radiotherapy before I really knew that I was diagnosed with cancer. It's very, very strange, quite surreal, really. I, I mean, I couldn't have had an easier time of it. <laughs> there, there was no worry. Um, my parents would visit the hospital. I was in hospital from July the 5th until I think it was early November, um, by which time I'd had as much chemo as they thought my kidney transplant could take. So I was released and then did the radiotherapy in February of 2015. But yeah, my parents would visit the hospital every day, just after lunch, maybe an hour after lunch. I couldn't tell them what I'd had for lunch. Um, the, the menu card would be on my trolley and my dad would look at it and say, did you have this? Did you have this? Nothing just triggered, no, no memory whatsoever. Um, I mean, I couldn't have told you my name, let alone that I was in hospital for the most part. Um, I, I just was sort of in a, I suppose, a void. Uh, everything was blank. I think I knew I was in hospital, but... I just didn't really know what I was doing at all. <laughs> Did you recognize your parents? I honestly don't know. I, I think I must have been comfortable enough to talk to them. Yeah, I suspect I did recognize them. Yeah, probably by their voice, obviously, because being blind, I couldn't see them. But yeah, I think I would have recognized their voices. Mm -hmm. So when you when you imagine because you don't have memory the before and after that we talk about on these podcasts in terms of relationships with your thoughts that you've got this big void so how is it now 
imagining what it must have been like not to have, you know, describing that void? How does that make you feel in terms of that chunk of time not being available to you? I mean, I do remember the run up to it. I, I knew I was getting very confused about things, probably for about six months, maybe a little bit longer. In the UK, um, nowadays, we have to have mixer taps, um, you know, where you've got like a swan neck thing and the hot and the cold come through the same, um, what's the word for it? faucet um but in those days we had separate taps for the hot one for the hot and one for the cold and to turn the hot tap on you turned the the tap anti-clockwise and you turn the cold one clockwise and all of a sudden i couldn't understand why mm. one tap turned in one direction one the other things like that would just confuse me and all of a sudden it just happened that i got confused about things one day, my parents went to visit my sister about 40 miles away. I stayed home, and normally I would put my food for the night into the oven, turn it on, cook it and eat it. And my parents would get back later that day. One day, I put something in the oven, or what I thought was the oven, turned it on, and nothing happened. Um, well, sorry, something did happen. The oven came on. but. I turned the grill on to we have like a top oven and a bottom oven. I'd put my meal in the bottom oven, but managed to turn the grill on. So when after about half an hour, my food should have been ready, I got it out of the oven and it was stone cold. And I knew that wasn't right, but I didn't know why it wasn't right. So I just let, I put it back on top of the cooker and left it and ate something else. So just simple things that I could normally manage just didn't make sense. Um, my nana actually, it was, 93 died and her funeral was on the 4th of July mm -hmm. and I, I wasn't really uh, compass mentis I just didn't understand what was going on I attended the funeral it was my parents my sister her family um, the only thing I remember about it was I wasn't impressed about the food that the company provided at the wake I don't remember anything and that really upsets me you know because I love me nana um but yeah just just total block yeah no was it like um because if if your parents told you about the uh funeral was it like um asking you what you had for lunch where you were there and they're describing what went I don't on think we haven't have really talked about it mm. um i think they just accept i can't remember it and uh it's i mean funerals are pretty much yeah same thing but uh yeah it would have been nice to have been able to remember it i guess with your um poetry that yeah. you have can you talk a little bit about when you started the poetry and then if it was before this event and then after when you kind of got back to it yeah it began when i was a high school student i fancied a girl so i started writing poems and <laughs> um, not specifically for her but about I was studying the um, poetry of Thomas Hardy for my A-level examination, which is the last exam you take at high school, um, A-level English language and literature. And we were dealing with it from a uh, language point of view. So we weren't really looking at what the poems were about, but more about how we wrote them and things. And Thomas Hardy is a very bleak poet. So, and I liked that. <laughs> it, 
being um, in an unrequited love situation, totally fitted. So um, I wrote poems about that and how how she'll miss me once I'm gone and things, <laughs> gone to a university and things. Um, and that's when I started. And slowly I began writing on less personal matters, tried to write about sort of general things. Um, and I carried on writing. Um, I lived in America for five years, four years in Atlanta, one in Rochester, New York, on the shore of Lake Ontario. And that was in 2007 through to 2012. I was still writing poetry, but when I came back from, from America, when my relationship had ended, um, and that was when I lost my sight, for example, when I was in Atlanta, um, I started going to a, a local sort of adult education, creative writing class, where I just wrote poetry, um, but being part of a, a communal group, I think there were about 10 of us in the group, it got me writing different things. Then after the, the brain lymphoma, I don't know, I, I couldn't remember, being blind, I used screen reader software on the computer, and I couldn't remember any of the keystrokes to do things. So the computer was largely unusable, except somehow I managed to find my poetry folder. I think I had a shortcut to it on the desktop. So I was able to listen to my old hmm. poems. So that was good. That, that got me, uh, my brain at least turning properly. And then within about six months of finishing the radiotherapy, I started going to the adult education creative writing group again. So it was people I knew, people who knew what I'd been through. I didn't write anything, but just being in that environment got me thinking more clearly about things. Before long, I was able to use the computer again properly. I started writing again. And by the end of the year, I'd submitted a poem into a single poem competition that made a long list and to the same publisher ran a pamphlet competition. And I, I actually submitted the same pamphlet of about 20 poems to three different competitions. And it got nowhere in two, but, but the one that longlisted my short, my poem also longlisted my pamphlet. But that's how I read it at first. The, the email with the results had my name in the long list and I thought, great, you know, that's progress. Then was there my name in the short list and then was my name in the three, one of the three winners. So it got published in January, 2017. Um, and I've not looked back since then really with the poetry. Um, I, I would go out and do a few poetry readings. Just after the pamphlet was published, I read three poems at a local library it was just an open mic event, and I could manage to memorize three poems. And even in one of those, I made a mistake. Um, but over the course of performing it, maybe three or four events, I eventually built myself up to be able to memorize about 30 minutes of poetry. Um, I would read, at first, I would read about four, five, six from memory, and then use the screen reader voice on my computer. You may be able to hear it. Um, just get it to read the time. 5.18 p.m. 
Mm. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that's very fast, but I've got a, 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 a posher sounding British lady voice that I set to a much slower speed. So that's the one I used to use because most people aren't used to listening to a screen reader. So I would read and generally alternate. So I would read a poem and then I let the screen reading read a poem. And it, it culminated, I did, I was invited to read a solo show on the English coast. So it's about two, maybe three hours drive. It was just after I'd started my, I, I signed up to do a master's in creative writing and I was invited to go down and do this um, solo show. Um, and they said, sure, you can, you can go and do that. Um, my parents drove me down and we stayed overnight. And I actually read for about an hour. I did all of the ones I could do from memory, but we did, between me and the screen reader, we did the whole pamphlet. So yeah, about 45 minutes. And then I did two more that I know from memory. And I did another one and a final goodbye from the screen reader voice. So, yeah. Nice. Can you yeah. describe um, with your poetry with, you weren't blind from birth, so you yeah. have some visual memories. Yes. Can you describe how that changed how you interacted with the poetry? Did you bring in more senses because the visual wasn't there? Did the, was the visual more there because you had memory of it or just talk about that? I suppose I don't intentionally bring more senses in. Although I like to identify as a blind poet, I don't like writing about my blindness or my disabilities, you know. I don't know, it's, it's just not something. I have written one poem that talks about my blindness and my kidney failure. And I also wrote a sort of gangster rap type poem about dealing with the chemotherapy, but they're probably not for publication anywhere. Um, the, actually, the, the one about my blindness has been published in a magazine. I, I actually wrote it for the magazine intentionally. And I have written a poem that talks about seeing colours through the feelings that they evoke. So you might not be able to see that grass is green. You know it's green, but you might identify it through the, the tickle of grass under your feet in the summer if you're walking on the grass in bare feet or you might have a favorite jumper and you know it's red. So you might think that red might be your favorite color. So you think of favorite colors through the associations they bring to you. Are you at the level of sight that I've got now or from the past, you know, I can remember what a lot of things look like, you know, in my past. So mm -hmm. yeah, I had sight for 31 years before I lost the sight in my left eye. I could still see enough to drive in my right eye, but then about four years later, I wasn't able to drive. I could still see enough to navigate Atlanta with a white cane, but I couldn't really see things. Um, I'd stopped looking at being able to see photographs on the screen and things. So, mm. But I think having, have the, having those visual memories still means I write them in my poetry. Yeah, and I would, it was, the question wasn't so much about writing about the blindness. I was just curious yeah, how, yeah. how, how the senses, how you write about them, if you've noticed any difference. I, I suppose they do more in my novel writing. Um, 
in my creative writing degree, we um, had a, a module on long-form fiction. So we had to write the first 6,000 words of a novel. And I want to actually turn that into a full novel. And I'm actually thinking more about how I describe places in that. Mm. I suppose in a poem, you've a lot less space to write. So you're not really overloading it with adjectives and things. Whereas in a novel, you've got the space to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you could talk about how things sound, how they smell, um, how they feel. So, and you don't often get that much in a, in, a, in a lot of novels. They'll talk about what the sights are, mm -hmm. but you don't hear so much about the sights that the, um, you don't hear so much about the sounds, the feelings, um, the smells. And that's kind of what's holding my novel back at the moment. I need to go, London being the capital of the UK, that's where my novel is set. Uh, and I'm, it's not set at the time that I lived and worked in London, but I need to go and I can only write about the perspective of how it was at that time. If I want to write about a, a more recent time, I need to go back and see whether the places I remember are still there, what they feel like now, um, just because I wasn't paying attention to the sounds and the smells and this and whatever the other sense was um, at the time, whereas now I would do. I suppose I notice a lot more. I mean, they always say that once you've lost your sight, do your senses suddenly get better? It's not that they do, but you learn to pay attention to them. Mm. You know, as I'm walking around the house, I'm listening to the sounds of things. You know, whereas I wouldn't have done that before, because sight just takes precedence over everything if you've got it. Mm. So can you uh, uh, reach back in your uh, memory to uh, coming out, uh, regaining your memory, short and long-term memory? And so this poetry that you had written um, and wanting to write again, or, or it, was, it was really the discovery of the poems that read back that kind of reignited it. But how did you feel about the loss of not writing and then the rediscovery of it? I suppose I didn't know enough about what was going on to really recognize. I think I was more concerned about the loss of being able to use the computer to do anything. Because obviously, as a blind person, not reading books, I do everything on the computer, thanks to the screen reader. And not being able to use that was kind of concerning. Um, I suppose, it really hit me when I went to the creative writing group for the first few weeks, when I realized there was no way I could write anything. I, I couldn't really understand or kind of like, I wasn't in tune with what was going on, but being in that environment and listening to other people's work, it sort of touched a nerve and kind of got me engaged with the, the thing again. But I just realized I'm pretty sure I was a bit despondent of not being able to write my own stuff, but I think I realised that that was the situation and that it was taking time to, to come. I think I realised that it was coming back slowly. Because um, I think in February when I was having the radiotherapy, I was slowly becoming aware of what was going on. Um, they were obviously zapping my brain to get the areas that they needed to get. 
and there, were, there was one area that they would zap and it would trigger a, a taste at the back of my mouth. There was, I could only liken it to the nail varnish remover, the, the smell of acetone. And there's no real reason why that should have happened. It's just, I asked them, was that something that everybody senses? And they said, no. <laughs> so my brain was actually, but I was aware that that was happening. So things were beginning to slowly make more sense. Even if why they were happening didn't make sense, I was beginning to understand what I was dealing with. Mm. And it was then through the creative writing group that I started being able to think about writing my own things again. Um, to the point, I mean, I suppose it happened very quickly because I think I would have started in June. No, it had started in May. Um, and to be able to put together a pamphlet of poems by October is pretty speedy progress. <laughs> um, so, and I think all of a sudden everything really clicked back into place. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably took about a month, but at the end of that month, I could do everything again. So what advice would you give to somebody who's going experiencing some sort of trauma? I mean, in your case, this was a series of things, but there still is a before and an after. And your creative life took a pause, even though your subconscious was taking it all in. Um, so what advice would you give somebody who's just had a brain injury of whatever range it is, um, yeah. kind of going into the recovery process? My advice would be to take it easy. I've always taken things easy throughout my whole life, um, even as a teenager, and just accept things as they are. I don't stress about things. And that's probably why I've never had concern about losing my sight. Yeah, a lot of people get really upset about it. And a lot of people will say, if they were to lose one sense, the loss of sight would be the worst. For me, I think loss of hearing would be the worst. Um, I actually prefer being blind to being sighted because I, I appreciate the world in a different way. You know, I never judge a person by how they look anymore. And I'm sure I did in my sighted days. I suppose in my sighted days, I didn't pay attention to things that people were going through, difficulties, whereas I do now, because I've been through similar things. So the, it's hard to, to do if you're not that sort of person, but taking things easy and just letting your body adjust to things slowly, letting your body, body take, sort of pace the progress. You can't really force, you can sort of force things to get better, by doing more of them every day but whether they sink in will be for your brain to decide when that's the right time you know if you keep exercising it um you know it, it will hopefully get better um and for me it's it's totally better i mean i was told that having had high dose chemotherapy and radiotherapy there is a chance that early onset dementia might happen for me. Um, but I guess they tell everybody who has high dose chemo and radiotherapy, that same thing. But I, I sort of gauge myself by how I'm managing to memorize my poems. Now it's been probably three years since I've read any poems in public, which is kind of worrying 
but I don't worry about it because it's just as it is. I've, I have kind of lost my inclination towards my poetry over the last three years, but for no other reason that I did the master's degree and I, I did my dissertation in poetry. And I think focusing on that in such intensity just drained me out. Mm. But also because I found I really like doing the novel that I'm trying to work on and research. It's just given me something else to focus on and I, I like prioritising that. I've joined um, an online course doing crime fiction. I finished the first 10 week course um, in June, maybe July. And I started the, the second course last Tuesday, uh, last Wednesday. So and whether I might turn that into a novel, I, I enjoyed writing it very much indeed. So just take on, realise that you might not be able to do things quite the same way as you could in the past. Um, certainly maybe not at the same pace, but accept whatever pace it is, work at it. It will get better, it will get faster. And try to find things that you can do, like social groups you can attend, like the creative writing groups. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, obviously, if I don't jump straight in with a master's degree, at the point where I still could barely remember my own poetry, that would have been far too soon. But by pacing it through the creative writing group, which was meeting for two hours once a week, it, it was giving my brain the the time it needed to get to the pace to the to the place where she where it could think in the way it needed to and then I, so so bear in mind i started the creative writing group in 2015 and it was 2018 before i started the ma so it took me three years to get to that point yeah and I suppose that only happened because I was thinking at that point about maybe being able to move into some sheltered accommodation because I knew my mobility skills weren't good enough to be able to live totally independently. I'd been living with my parents since being back from America. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a little bit more independent. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I thought, if I returned to the same university I did my undergrad, undergrad degree as as a sighted student it would probably be close enough that i'd be able to navigate in the end it wasn't but it would certainly be a safe enough environment so i did that uh, I, I i applied for that in 2018 and it worked a treat and i've lived independently ever since that's great and uh, i live in this flat it's a small flat but it's the right sort of size i have a assistant comes and helps me twice a week two hours a week she'll help me vacuum the flat because I can't see it in that to vacuum in a straight line she'll mop my floor um, help me label my food I've got a device that talks so I can say this is um, a lasagna and she'll say the expiry date so I know what to what order to eat it that's great um, so so yeah you just find ways of doing things um, don't I think my biggest bit of advice is don't be afraid to ask, ask for help um, a lot of people are, particularly elderly people. I did a talk to a, I'm not religious, but my parents attended a Methodist church in Abergavenny. Um, 
and they have a friendship club. And I've, I've talked to them three times, once about the blindness technology that I use, once I, I did a poetry reading, and once I talked about not being able to, being afraid to ask for help because a lot of them are elderly and find it very hard not being able to do the things they used to do. But, you know, being, being, being afraid of that and not asking for help doesn't help you move on. Whereas if you've got a cleaner to come in once a week, your house stays clean, even spotless, <laughs> um, and you don't need to worry about it, you know. There's, there's no shame in having to ask for help. Um, yeah. And I suppose that was a lesson I learned from my blindness training. I had a year of blindness training in Atlanta, which I wouldn't have got if I'd have been in the UK. So learning my sight could have happened in a better place. Mm. Um, but yeah, being out, not being afraid to, ask, afraid to ask for help just opens doors and things. So anytime I want to go out to a poetry reading, I used to ask people who go there if they could pick me up and collect me, and they did. And now, in, now I'm in Cardiff, I don't feel afraid to get a taxi and ask the taxi driver to guide me to, into the building. Yeah, so asking for help is the biggest thing you can do. Yeah. That's great. That's good advice. Yeah. I have a question for you about memory which is when you go back to memories that you have, so, you know, childhood or earlier memories, mm -hmm. when, you know, the, the research shows that every time we take a memory out, it's changed because we're different looking back. And so when you go back and look at those earlier memories, do you, do you try to cull out other senses or it's, it's mostly sight, maybe some sound that goes back? Or do you see any difference in how you kind of look back at your memories? Not as far as I'm aware. I don't know. I suppose I feel the emotions of the of memories rather than what actually happened. But I don't know. I mean, we were talking about dreams the other day. And when I dream, I do dream visually. <laughs> Not all the time. But I do definitely have. Sorry, got hiccups. I do definitely have memories where I can visualise houses I used to live in. Um, to the extent I I visualised that I was back there in current time, and this is I, we moved from there in 1991, so it's 21 years ago. But I visualised that I was there visiting the house today kind of thing and I could actually visit visualize the little passage at the side of the house which ended in a, a sort of tall wooden gate um and I, how on earth I remember that well I know I remember it but how on earth I visualize it is quite incredible and, and yes I can still visualize that area that whole street um so yeah I, I, I can visualize things quite well okay. I suppose I don't visualize people's faces as well. Mm. So I can't describe what somebody looked like as well. But yeah, I often need a photograph. I mean, I'll yeah. remember the, the emotion around my my grandmother's, you know. Um, but when I see a photograph, there's just something about a twinkle in an eye or something that brings back a memory too. Um, so yeah, faces are 
you remember, you get some of it, but not all of it. In the little bit of time that we have left, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I don't think so. No. So what's up with your novel? Oh yeah, um, it's temporarily on hold until I can visit London. Um, it, funnily enough, it features, I'm trying to subvert the expectation. Normally you think of terrorists as being Islamic, um, certainly in this country and probably in America as well. Um, I mean, I visited the Twin Towers before 9-11. This was in 1994. So I went up them and viewed them. So, um, but I don't want to use the stereotypes. So I'm having, I've got a sort, it's a sort of terrorist. It's going to be a thwarted attempt, but a, a young girl who's in a, on an anti-capitalism mission. So she wants to blow up detonate herself she's homeless um and she wants to blow herself up at one of the busiest streets in london just as a protest against capitalism um but i want to go and sort of see those areas but again for the police officer investigating it i want it to be a an african origin so somebody from ghana is what i was thinking of and of all the things there was a poetry mentoring opportunity that I applied for in one year, but didn't get anywhere. But one of the girls who was accepted for it, um, the, the three mentees from the most recent session were doing a Zoom event um, this week. So I tuned in, I registered for it, and I realized she was Ghanaian. So I've um, added her as a Facebook friend, I've emailed her, and I'm hoping to be able to go and talk to her about Ghana as a, well, just so I can let that influence how I write that character. That's so, great. That's so that might great. push the novel on a little bit further. Good. So um, I'll include in the link um, uh, to your website um, and the works that you That's want to let people know yeah. about. So thank you for the time so much. Um, and I know it's late where you are versus here. So uh, 6 p.m. now. Okay. All right. Well, have a good week and um, I hope to hear and speak to you more later. Take Great. care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me this month. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, leave a comment and subscribe. Until next month, take a moment and hug someone you love.